Hi, you guys, and welcome back to the podcast. We are the Carwells. I'm Emily. And I'm Sarah, and we are, as you know, Airbnb interior designers and investors. <laughs> All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Catch Up with the Carwells, where Emily and I talk all things Airbnb. Um, today, we have a very special guest named Marissa on to join us. Hello, Marissa. Hello. How are you? I'm great. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, Marissa, we actually met in person for the first time ever about a week and a half ago at uh, Zoe Burgoff's mentorship graduation. Hit it off with Marissa immediately. Um, and Marissa is very closely following in similar steps that Emily and I took to get involved in Airbnb. And so immediately we were like, oh my gosh, you have to come on the podcast and talk all through this um, as our stories have been so aligned. So uh, Marissa, for our listeners to get them kicked off, do you want to just talk through kind of an elevator pitch of just who you are, um, how you got involved in Airbnb, and what you're doing currently? So I have worked in construction and design for about 10 years now. Um, I've been stalking everything Airbnb for like five years. Um, I allowed a few things to hold me back, so I feel like I got a little bit of a late start, but um, at this point, I'm just jumping in. Love <laughs> we it. love to see. <laughs> oh, I always talk over Emily. So every time she opens her mouth, I'm like, am I talking over her or not? <laughs> um, that's beautiful. I mean, honestly, we hear that often in the space about people being like, wow, I feel like I've sat on the sidelines for so long. Um, and I don't think that you are alone in that journey, right? It is a huge leap of faith to go from something you knew before to something totally different, right? And there's a lot of things that you're holding in this industry. Um, what made you decide to step off the sidelines and kind of get in the game and decide to actually put action behind this thing that you've been interested in for the last five years? The biggest thing was removing certain people from my life and being right in the middle of the correct people. I mean, truthfully, that's the biggest thing. I love that. Yeah, man, I tell you what, that has been, that's reigned true with Emily and I as well. It's interesting when you start seeing other people do things differently than what you're exposed to on a day-to-day -day basis, how all of a sudden you realize that the fishbowl that you're currently swimming in isn't the fishbowl that you should be swimming in. So props to you for making those changes. Um, as you know, we get started with every episode with an Airbnb horror story. So before we kind of dive into your journey um, and start picking your brain, uh, kick us off with an Airbnb horror story that you have experienced so far for our listeners. So mine is not so much just Airbnb directly, but it is the stuff that people cover up in houses. <laughs> My poor mom and I have torn apart so many houses and you get into them and it's just like, what the heck? Um, our most recent one was the bathroom floor had rotted, not just once, but four times. And they just did subfloor, flooring, subfloor, flooring, four layers. And That's no inspector's going to find that. Like you can't. It was all trimmed out, finished. No, you'd never know. Oh, my, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't even know. That, like, you would think it would be obvious if people are just, like, stacking subfloor on top of the floor. The best part is, is tearing this house apart. We found his general contracting license in the house. 
someone who knew better. <laughs> no. Oh. I, uh, this is kind of like a little bit of a tangent on a similar story, but I saw uh, two videos this week of people that were DIYing certain situations. And one was like somebody had a backsplash and they were like just straight putting thin set over the existing backsplash to put a new one on. And I'm like, no. <laughs> What are you doing? Why are you doing it that? It truly is shocking sometimes when, like, you get into these houses and you see what people have done. Like, the house that I purchased, like, every closet is a different ceiling in the closet. Some of them have trim at the bottom, but some of them don't. So there's literally just, like, this gap at the bottom of the drywall where you can just, like, see behind everything. I'm like, what? Somebody thought this was finished? Like, what does that mean? And so it's so funny when you actually, like get into the nitty-gritty and you're actually doing some of the work you notice the stuff that people skip over and you're like how and why right <laughs> literally yeah. why well and it feels like too I always tell this to Emily is like when we start touring houses here in Michigan I always feel like everybody puts on their DIY outfits all winter long <laughs> because it's like they're outside all summer and they're stuck inside for like six months out of the year and so you look at like it's almost like you can see what room they did what year. You know, it's like oh none of the house makes yes. <laughs> It's my so favorite painful. is when they have the 2000s red wood flooring in one room and then they have 2010 gray flooring in the next room. <laughs> yes. The eras that they have redone yes. these single rooms in. It hurts. It hurts. The things that we start with to try and make them beautiful in the end is just it's really rough. <laughs> Definitely. Um, so you talked about how you have a construction background and your interest in design. So can you kind of talk about how your interest in design and that led into short-term rental design specifically? Because it is a little bit different, as you know, and that was our journey at the very beginning with short-term rental design. But can you talk about like why you shifted into that specifically and your mindset around that? Um, so... I have had an interest in design like literally my whole life in fourth grade. My mom told me if I got the wallpaper off the bathroom wall, I could do whatever I wanted to it. And it was hot pink and mustard yellow with a daisy border. Like any fourth grade girl's dream. Um, So it's a lifelong thing. And my area, there's not a lot of design work to be had. It's rural Michigan, like not a priority. Um, And I just felt like I could serve better. And I like the Airbnb space because I can go at it as we're creating an experience, an environment for your ideal customer, not just for the homeowner. Um, So there's more on the investment side, but also I feel like I can be way more creative push the boundaries and push the limits far more than I can just like in somebody's primary home. Yeah, definitely. And I think one point that I know we talked about in Denver and Sarah and I use this strategy as well is getting into the short-term rental industry, maybe in a subcategory where you get to learn along the way. You're also working with investors who may be a step ahead of you. So you get to learn from them as well. Um, and then you get to save that money and then invest it into your own properties. And I know that's a little bit of your strategy going forward. So 
Um, I think that that's just like a really smart way to get into it. But do you feel like as you're designing these properties, you're learning like every single step of the way, more things? Yes. I'm, I mean, obviously constantly learning in any business. Um, but there's definitely new challenges and new, and it's the part of getting the ideal number that you can host, but then not overcrowding it. Um, and just utilizing the space the best. And people in Michigan need that help. I mean, people everywhere need that help. But truly, you know, Emily and I, of course, started in short-term rental design, and we did not understand the impact that it had all the way through their business, right? Like, we love design. We love, you know, making things beautiful and making things functional. And, and we value design for X, Y, and Z, right? But from an investor perspective, we didn't realize that investors really needed to plug in with designers to receive more money on the back end, right? Like we truly do pay for ourselves. Um, When you are designing for other people, this is kind of a little bit of a tangent, but right now, do you design specifically for people in Michigan or are you designing for people anywhere in the U.S.? And what does that process look like? Like, is it possible to hire a designer that is not in the state that you are investing in? So I'm actually designing several right now that are all over. Um, One in Arizona, one in Colorado. I have a consult today with somebody in Georgia, one in Northern Michigan. Um, And that's just currently, so it really is mostly virtual. Getting measurements is the biggest challenge right now, but I have those kinks kind of ironed out. So that's good now. Um, So yeah, I'm really not doing much for my area. That's amazing. I think that that's so freeing. I mean, Emily and I went from designing just in DFW to Emily and then moving to Thailand and her being like, Sarah, what are we going to do? Like, are we just going to collapse this business now that we can't do it in person? And you're right. There is, especially on the measurement side of things, a huge issue at the beginning of the project, trying to understand what fits in that property. Like, Like, you can't ask the host to go over there with a tape measure and be like, survey this space um what is your solution for it like how are you getting those measurements now uh so a lot of realtors now are using the matterport so that's how i'm going about it and then i just learned that you can actually just hire people to go just do that part even if it's not if there isn't a active real estate like uh, listing so yes amazing that's exactly what we started doing as well as those matterports it's like you know, in all things, we're always trying to remove needing ourselves to be boots on the ground. Mm-hmm. I was listening to an Alex Ramosi podcast yesterday, and he was talking about the evolution of his businesses and how he used to like physically fly out to every gym that he launched. And then all of a sudden he realized that he could like deploy other people to go do those things where he didn't have to leave and it like 10x his business overnight. So I love seeing those creative solutions that designers are putting in place so that they can service people all over the U.S. because it just casts such a wider net for you and any other designer that's looking at expanding their business to be able to service people anywhere. You're not kind of pigeonholed into the market that you're in because as you and we know, it's not like middle of nowhere Michigan is number one on your list of places you want to design. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) 
Yeah, and it is funny because I think like at the very beginning when we started um, virtually designing for people, the hosts would sometimes be the one to measure the space and your measurements are just never right. Like there's a reason that these people are hiring out for this service particularly. And you're like, I need ceiling heights. I need window sizes. I need all of these things because you want to make sure the curtains are the right length, all of that stuff. And their brains just don't necessarily work like that. And so having the ability to hire somebody who's going to understand it a little bit more to go and do that, like Sarah said, it, it widens your net of places that you can design for because you don't want to have to be the person who goes and does it. And then you need the right measurements. Yes. Um, One other question that I have for you for our listeners who may be interested in hiring you or any other Airbnb interior designer for that matter is what are your services look like? Like when do you plug into the property and when do you step out and what kind of role are you carrying? Is it just picking out the furniture and then they order it? Or is it like, coordinating with their GC and coordinating with the placement of the furniture? Like where do you kind of draw your line of service offerings? So for me, I am sourcing everything. So they have all the links in a Google doc, allowing them to order. So it's on their time. They may just want to do one room at a time, whatever. Um, But I'm also available for any questions and any issues that the GC or the project manager runs into, but I also draw everything out on my chief architect program. So they have like a full map of the property and where everything goes. So there's no questions. Mm, Music. Sourcing it and having them order is maybe the smartest choice that you made. Um, (laughs) Sarah and I did in fact take on the ordering part for them and it literally was our biggest pain point. We ended up like you miss out on the fun parts because like the fun part of designing is the design process and seeing it come together. But that ordering and the shipping and the returns portion makes you hate that part of the industry. And so we ended up getting out of it because we were like, this is too much. You spend so much time on the thing that sucks about this and not enough time on the part that's fun and so having it be like like you said on their time where like if they want to do just one room at a time they get to do just one room at a time but also you don't have to coordinate deliveries and is somebody going to be there to bring the packages inside and what if something comes in broken and now I have to return it because it was ordered under like we had a designer's account so it was ordered under our account so we have to take care of all the returns and it's those little things that add up that make it not nearly as fun and make us not like love doing it as much. There's also the capital end of it too, because you run into ordering. I mean, I did in my business ordering pieces for people and they're like, well, I don't get paid till Thursday. And it's like, I'm not a credit card. (laughs) Yeah, no, I completely agree. I mean, I've seen designers offer like tiered services where they have the option of kind of how you do things where it's like, I will hand you a detailed list of everything that you need to order, but you have to actually order it yourself. And then they'll have a second tier where they're like, you're going to have to hand me either your credit card or you are going to wire me a large sum of money. And I am going to start running that card and ordering it for you. But I'm also going to charge a higher rate per square foot to design for you because this is literally doubling my workload, if not tripling it. Like, I don't work for free, right? Like, you've got to have, you know, those boundaries kind of set because it will, like, whatever you do make on design, if you are not charging for the process of ordering and returning, 
you're working for free very quickly because that ends up being a bulk of the work anyway. Um, one thing I wanted to kind of circle back to that I think is we, I mean, we have hosted several interior designers on this podcast. We have worked alongside several interior designers. And one thing that I think that you mentioned that you may not even know that you're doing right, that we have watched other interior designers do wrong is providing a floor plan for them to place the furniture, right? For them to actually stage the furniture. Because a common mistake that I've seen that I think interior designers are dropping the ball on is they will create this beautiful mood board or this beautiful like board that shows that, you know, all of these pieces go into the living room, right? And it'll be like a collage of the pieces of furniture and you'll get to see like the bed is in here. And of course this chair goes in this room with this bed. And we forget maybe some interior designers that like that is our skill to actually think about the function of the space and the flow of the space and like spacing between like making sure that there's a wide enough hallway for people to walk between the couch and the dining table or like whatever the case may be. And so if you don't literally spell it out for them (laughs) where you're like measure three foot off of this dining table and the back of the sofa goes here. Like if you don't tell them that or like artwork right it's like all of a sudden we'll give them artwork and we're like hang it above the sofa and they're like hanging it three foot above the sofa and it's like (laughs) we have if if you are not including where things have to be placed then your end product as a designer is just gonna look like for lack of a better word dog shit (laughs) because the person installing it is going to screw it up so for you to provide that, I think that's such a value add for your clients and for the boots on the ground, whether it is your clients putting it together or they're outsourcing that work, like you as an interior designer are really taking the reins on that front. So you know that the end result is actually going to turn out the way that you designed it. <laughs> Being type A pays off sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so you talked about how you're designing all over the US at this point, And especially because the Airbnb industry is very highly emphasizing design right now. And you're designing for different markets. Can you talk about your strategy when you're going into a project? Like, how are you pitching the design style? Are you collaborating that with your clients? Or are you kind of taking that on and being like, No, I, I understand the market? What sort of market research are you doing, I guess, to make sure that you're so- designing well? I will say that I am not one that has a style um, at all, really. Like, I love them all. And so my biggest, like, process strategy has been to research the market that it's actually in. But also, I mean, sometimes houses speak to you. And I feel like tell you certain ways that it wants to look. And then the third is narrowing down the ideal customer because if you're not creating a design for that customer avatar um you're really missing out and truly i think of airbnb because you design a house you put it on there and you're really creating an ad so if it's not for that ideal customer they're not going to see it and they're not going to book it dude i everything you said there (laughs) The whole thing. That was amazing. Um, So many kind of pull apart moments there that I kind of want to dive into for a half a second. Um, One, houses speak to you. (laughs) Brilliant. 
mostly because I think that, you know, a lot of times when we have dealt with design clients in the past, um, and even properties that we have done for ourselves, a lot of people do have a style, right, that they prefer in their home. And so they'll walk into these investment properties with a finite budget. And because they personally don't like the trim, the countertop, the flooring, the paint, like whatever the case may be, if it's not their style specifically, they're like, oh, well, nobody's going to like this or like, oh, I can't work with this. And so they all of a sudden try and make the house something that it's not or like it would be a huge haul to get that house to be this like version of aesthetic that they have in their mind that they like. And so I think as designers, especially when we are dealing with these very finite budgets to make sure that these properties are profitable, first and foremost, you've got to let the house kind of determine, right? Like Definitely. They've got personalities. Mm-hmm. Like they, they know what they want to be. Like the house is already set up a certain degree to how it should function and, you know, how it should be designed. And so we have that same mentality where we're like, just lean into where the house is headed already. And whoever has touched it, you know, and designed it currently they they aren't leaning into that and so we just want to like bring the house we want to put legs on the house right we want to give it the ability to like be what it wants to be yes um and then two other things that were (laughs) brilliant in that last section was the customer avatar um and the creating an ad i think that emily and i did not have that mindset around it at the beginning we just wanted to make things pretty and wanted to like, you know, bring the house to its full potential. But we weren't thinking that's all we were thinking about is the house and the personality that the house had out the gate and how to just like bring that full vision to life. Not, okay, where does the ideal customer pair with this house? Like, how do we form that nice marriage? And now it's like, you know, when when I designed the first property in Bitely, I was like designing it very much for me. I'm like, oh my God, this is the first lake house. I want to have all these girls nights here. Like I want it to be like my style, like exactly how I want it. Um, And so without thinking about it, I made myself the ideal avatar. And then now the most common people to stay in that house are girl strips. And I'm like, it was like a light bulb. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Like you really can get very granular about the person who you are targeting and that person will respond, right? They're going to look at it and they're going to be like, this is, uh, I see myself here. I imagine my vacation here. I can, I can fully see the vision of the experience that this space is going to offer. So you thinking about it from an ad or a marketing perspective is exactly why people need to hire designers for their B&B. Like they're not thinking about that. They're still hung up on the fact that they've got to spend six figures to get this thing off the ground. Whereas you are thinking through these issues for them when they don't even know those issues exist yet. Um, And talking about like phases and still capitalizing, like another strategy is just focusing on the first five photos so if the draw is the living room or the draw is the outside, invest your first chunk of money into those areas to make those catchy. And then as revenue comes in, you work on the next part. Love that you said phases. Sarah and I live by doing things in phases because it's just impossible. I mean, like every investor is working on some sort of a budget, right? At least ideally they are. These are investments, even though we can spill tons of money into these properties we still have to come at it with some sort of a budget so i think that it's so smart that you look at it as phases as well um 
you want to make sure that like obviously in your first phase you're getting it up to the way you're going to stand out amongst your competition so like you said the first five photos you want to be able to have somebody look at that and they're going to choose you over your competition but then as time goes on as you're making revenue you're just putting money back into the property and making it better and better as time goes along yeah incredible um <laughs> the amount of phases that we have done on our properties <laughs> Every time we make any amount of money, we're like, reinvest <laughs> more amenities. Like, let's see how much money we can push out of these. So I love that you have that mentality as well, because people need their hand held through it, right? There is a totem pole of priority on every single property and in every single market. There are things that you can do to your property that will make more money than others. And so having somebody who is in tune with that um, is a huge win. Like we have seen so many people blow their entire budget on making sure that the countertops and the floors and the mirrors in the bathroom all are parade home worthy. And nobody cares about that in an Airbnb, right? They want the hot tub and they want the kayak and they want the Instagram wall and they want whatever, the swings, the egg chairs, whatever the case may be. And so I think, you know, having you who's walking through them and being like, look, yes, we could build out all of these things. But first and foremost, you have to hit these five areas for these five photos that are going to grab the attention of the people who are actually going to book it. Nobody's booking it because your countertops are white. Like that's, that's not converting anyone. <laughs> right. And in my background, I have made some questionable countertops actually look good, but just by changing cabinet color, wall color, and that's just paint and paint's not $8,000 for new countertops. Literally yeah. my counter or my cabinets are like, the bane of my existence they're the very old orange cabinets that are in so many michigan homes specifically and i hate them but i was like mm, am i doing that or am i putting new flooring in like am i getting new cabinets because even the the shape of them is just old like i want to completely redo them but i'm like i can't justify that that doesn't make sense like eventually sure i'll paint them but it just doesn't make sense to put my budget there when I could put my budget in so many other places. So I'm glad we're all, I love when people say it without us having to like prompt them. You're, you're already like, we're all already of the same mindset, but I want to switch gears a little bit from design because you recently went through a mentorship program. That's actually where we met you is at your graduation. We'll met you in person. We've, we've talked on social media for a while, but, um, and then you're currently in another mentorship program, if I'm not mistaken. So can you talk about why you're prioriz prioritizing mentorship so early in your journey and what the experience has been like for you? Um, so first off, any not that I rarely run into it, but on occasion, people question the amount of money you're investing into a mentorship. And my question is, or my thought back to them is nobody questions when you drop a hundred thousand dollars on a college education. <laughs> yeah, Amen. Preach <laughs> yes. Louder for the people in the back. <laughs> and it just goes back to being around the right people. Um, and truthfully, like, yes, I invested a significant amount of money into my mentorships, but the relationships and meeting the people that I've met is like, you can't put a price tag on it. Yeah. Yeah. We could not agree more. I'm so inspired by people like you who decided to jump into the mentorship on the front end, because that's a huge mistake that Emily and I made as you know, and as our listeners know, we did not pay for mentorship until this year. And it is 
a direct result of us 10xing this year, right? Like it it flipped our world upside down and spit us out the other side and we're like, what? What? Like what how much money could we have made at this point? How much further along could we be had we invested in that earlier? I'm just kicking myself for it. Now I'm just like, okay, like step one in any new venture that we go on, any new thing that we need to learn, it's who not how. Um and I think that that's just it's been eye-opening on so many levels for Emily and I. I'm sure it's been eye-opening for you. Um, but for you, when you were selecting mentors, right? Because we're going through this process as well as we are uh, in the same phase as you of becoming familiar with mentorship. How did you decide who you were going to hire as your mentor? Uh, so the first one I did was Zoe was her because the premise was unique stays and I have 20 acres that I'm really trying to do something with. So that is going to be a more, more unique stay. Um, I've also, I mean, I just love the idea behind unique stays. And then the second one, as that kind of took me deeper into Airbnb and the possibilities, that's kind of how I went towards Maddie and Skylar's second was the investor side of it. Because then I just saw true potential and like, I have these ideas. I have too many ideas. I need people to create them for. <laughs> yes. I I love that. I mean, I think that, you know, a lot of people struggle with clarity on what they want to do, right? And for you, you're looking at, I've got these 20 acres. Like you're looking at your existing toolbox that you've got in front of you. And you're saying like, what is the path of least resistance? for me to have some success with what I have access to currently. And instead of you just like bulldozing it yourself, which is the Sarah model, <laughs> wouldn't encourage it. Um, you went, okay, let me find an expert in the space that's already done this, right? That already has exposure to this, that already has fallen flat on their face. And let me see if I can just buy their 10,000 hours, right? And avoid all of those mistakes. So I think that in your case, in, in knowing Zoe, and knowing who you hired, and now knowing your story and your situation, I'm looking at you and I'm like, wow, <laughs> like, why couldn't this girl have given me that advice four years ago? <laughs> yeah, I think you're doing a good job of getting like a well rounded view at short term rentals, too, because you did do the unique stay route. And now you're looking at the investor route. And you like Sarah said, you're using what's in your toolbox, you have a construction background, you have a design background, those are great traits to bring on investors with because you already know so much about how to bring a property to life when a lot of investors don't have the time or the know-how to do that. And so I think investing in those mentorships that are maybe just filling in the gaps for you that you have with your existing toolbox is just such a smart way to approach it. And like Sarah said, we didn't invest in mentorship at the beginning and it took us a while and falling flat on our face to get here. So we absolutely commend people who are starting their journey with mentorship instead of waiting. And just getting in the right room, I will 100% say it catapulted everything for me. Um, but secondly, I'm pretty introverted, very creative, didn't always find my place in my community. But now with the mentorships and being able to literally put myself in the right community, it just clicked instantly. So that was also super fulfilling. Mm, yeah, I mean, you go back to 
our initial question to you of like, what made you decide to get off the sidelines? Right. And you said, you know, the people that I was surrounded by is the main factor. And I think that's something that people don't talk about enough. Right. It's like, and I think the reason people don't talk about it is because I don't know about, you know, your case scenario or the people that you were hanging out with before. But in our case scenario, it's like we have no beef with the people we were hanging out with before. Right. We love them. We still hang out with them to a certain degree. It's just at some point you have to realize that, like, if you're spending 100 percent of your free time with those people, what are you learning? What are you gaining? Are they going in the direction that you want to go? Right. And so it's not saying that you can't spend time with those people anymore. It's just saying, like, I have to justify spending less time with them because I have to have this new group that is pushing me forward, that is closely aligned with how I see my life or how I want my life to unfold. And so that's like it's scary. Right. You're you're in this comfort zone. You're in this bubble of people that you love, that you're comfortable with. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just feel like people don't talk about that a lot or really dig into that at all because they don't want to hurt the feelings of the people that they were hanging out with previously. And so to make that jump, it is big and scary and bold. So I commend you for it. And we're happy that you're in our room. Like, even though you're in a mentorship with Zoe and Maddie, those are two of our closest companions, you know, so you're in our circle nonetheless. And we want people like you, right? It's like this huge call to action for us now to find our people as we're like going through that exact same process. So um, and big if, moves all the around. If people look at you like you're crazy, you're in the wrong room because my ideas no longer feel crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in that wild. <laughs> Amazing. Um, I want to take a little bit of a step back to the very beginning when you talked about doing construction with your mom. Um, so is your, talk about that a little bit more. Is your mom, your business partner in this, does she take on all of these projects with you or what does your team look like when you're taking on these design projects? So up until I think probably maybe two years now, my mom was terrified of power tools (laughs) and (laughs) I was, helping her a lot because I feel like she had a little empty nest and started tearing houses apart. Um, so I was helping her. She's like, you got to help me now. And have, at one point I was like, no, you figure it out. So needless to say, she's no longer afraid of power tools and now she loves it as much as I do. Um, a lot of it was the way that our parents' generation grew up of like, you go to work, you have a 401k, that's enough. And my brother and I have both Like we want her to retire ASAP and we're like, you need to invest in real estate to get there faster. Um, So that's really where it started is that we kind of talked her into buying some houses. Um, And so she is more of the, a little bit laborer. She will probably do the cleaning of our Airbnbs in the area, but um, that's kind of, where she likes to stay. So did she invest in a couple of B&Bs then? Like now she owns a couple of B&Bs? Yeah. So she has, um, we're not sure if there's going to be one or two, but at least one of them now on a lake in Michigan. (sighs) And it's, it's another project, but it'll be up and going. We're hoping by January. Uh, That, this is another topic that I feel like we don't talk about enough on our podcast or doesn't get talked about enough in general. Um, but it is an underlying tone um, that I think a lot of operators 
have is this is a great tool for our parents to be able to retire, right? I know that Emily shares that sentiment with her parents. I share that sentiment with my parents and my siblings. I think that a lot of us operators are seeing this as not only a way for us to live our dream lives, right? A lot of us operators are getting in here and seeing it as a tool for our own generational wealth. And oftentimes there's like an extra component of love for design or hospitality or whatever the case may be. But there's the huge advantage on the back end of what it can do for the people that you care about most, right? Like your mom wants to retire badly, I'm sure, right? Like she's like, I'm done here. Like this, you know, I've worked my tail off. I have like done everything that I'm supposed to and the world looks different now. The world is more expensive now, like so on and so forth. And so, I mean, for her to now have this property that is going to give her some sort of income you know, my husband does Medicare sales, right? He handles people's Medicare. And so he deals with the 65 plus community day in and day out. And that was my entire world alongside him for years before we ever started the short-term rental business. And so we watched how the vast majority of Americans who are retiring are on this fixed income where there's insane inflation. Like you, you, you can't live with that. Like we pay attention so closely to our side of things, right? Like people graduating college with a ton of debt, not being able to get into a house and like all this stuff. But there is a huge money issue on the backside for these people who are retiring. So for you to be able to look at it with you and your brother and be like, holy cow, this could be a savior for my mom. Like we oh, had and it's, it's not just my mom. My dad's actually 19 years older. So I'm also like, you need to retire so you have time with him. Like mm. he's been retired for obviously a few years now and it's just allowing giving them that time freedom. Uh yes. Yes. Allowing them to live their lives the way that they want to, especially in those years. Like they should, right? Um, for you as well, I mean, now you get more time with your mom, right? Because you're working alongside each other. Do you enjoy that? <laughs> I ask that because I work <laughs> alongside my dad every day and anyone who works with her parent, I'm like are you having fun or do we hate it? <laughs> no, it's it's pretty easy with my mom. That's amazing. Good. <laughs> we love to see it. My dad called me today and he's like, Sarah, he's like, I think somebody stole a drill out of the barn. And I was like, that someone was me. I have your drill. <laughs> he's like, that's why I called you first. Not at all surprising. <laughs> oh <my> <laughs> Sticky fingers daughter over here. I'm either stealing my mom's clothes or my dad's tools. <laughs> All right. Well, I think last question here that um, I've got for you is for our listeners who are interested in hiring an interior designer uh, that understands short-term rentals, because for our listeners, I know that I have echoed this on every single episode that we have ever had an interior designer on. If you are hiring an interior designer, for the love of God, hire one that specializes in short-term rentals because it is a whole other monster. But for those um, who have listened to this and heard a lot of the things that you have said um, that maybe they aren't thinking about and they're hearing what you're saying and they're like, wow, this is so much more valuable than, you know, just making a room look pretty. Um, where can people find you if they'd like to hire you for your services? So my business is wild by design and it's my Instagram hashtag is, or handle is wild by design. Mm-hmm. And Beautiful. my website is not up yet. <laughs> I don't think we ever built a website specifically for our design. So, no, my <laughs> process. Probably, 
landing page. Yeah, <laughs> I totally get that. Beautiful. Well, for our listeners, as always, of course, um, if you heard that and you didn't write that down, the handle to her Instagram is going to be below this episode for you to copy and paste into your Instagram and easily find her. Um, Highly recommend working with an interior designer. In our experience, it always pays off. We pay for ourselves in the increase in revenue that you will make by hiring someone who truly understands how to make that experience worthwhile for our guests. Um, as we wrap up, as always, Emily, will you let people know where they can find us? Absolutely. You can find us at the Carwells on all social media platforms and our website is thecarwells.space. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Marissa, for coming on and chatting all things design, mentorship, and your story specifically. Um, and for our listeners, thank you again for listening to another episode of Catch Up with the Carwells. We will catch you next time. Bye. Bye.